Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. And hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And today with me, Douglas E. Knoll. And I think um, people that know you well are allowed to call you Doug, is that right? That's correct. Hey, so I'm going to put myself in that category, whether it's true or not. So hi, Doug. It's great to talk to you again today. Thank you, Russell. Great to be here. And I can tell by the accent you're from across Yildi Pond. So where are you in the world? I am. I live in central California, just south of Yosemite National Park and just west of Kings Canyon Sequoia National Parks. And I live in rural California, uh, which is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And um, I'm guessing it must be nice and warm there at the moment, is it? Because we're in the middle of winter here. Yeah, it is. It is a little warmer than we want it to be. Uh, uh-huh. We're in the middle of a big drought, and we've had two storms come through. But but the, right about now is when we want to start seeing those rainstorms come through and snow up in the mountains right above us. So yes. hopefully, it'll cool down a little bit, and we'll get some weather in. Well, according to Americans, there's no such thing as climate change, so it must just be someone's not dancing hard. Some enough. some Americans say that, but people like me see it every day on yeah, our. Exactly. On our yeah. <laughs> those those that don't see it aren't opening their eyes, unfortunately. Yeah, weird. Anyway, oh, they've got vested interests any place. Anyway, let's not do politics tonight, and we're not going right. to do philosophy. Let's do Doug. So tell me a bit about yourself, Doug, and what it is that you do. Well, since this show is about resiliency, I thought it would be interesting to t- talk about how my life began. I was born deaf, blind, crippled, uh, left-handed, bad teeth. I mean, the I stood. I got in every wrong line for everything except smarts. I was born as a pretty smart kid. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't walk until I was three. I had four surgeries before three years old. I was born with double club feet. Uh, I was once I got into school, I was not performing well until the fourth grade when a school nurse had the bright idea to test my vision. And they found that my vision was 2400. I was legally blind. I couldn't see. No wonder I wasn't doing well in school. Yeah. They got me some big black Coke bottle glasses so I could start to see again. Yeah. And I was two grade levels ahead by the end of that next summer. Um, and so growing up was tough. I, you know, in those days, this is, I was born in 1950, and, which seems like eons ago for most people. But it was, um, in those days, it was, the idea was don't coddle your children and my parents did not they didn't they thought that they coddled me i'd be soft and so even though i had major disabilities and would i and my problems would have been handled completely differently today back then i was pretty much left to fend on my own 
not that I wasn't raised in a loving family. I was also raised in privilege and affluence. So it wasn't like there was that kind of stress. But socially and emotionally, I had no support. Yeah. And it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, finally, I, I graduated from high school, did well, went to Dartmouth College, U.S. Ivy League School, and then came back to California, went to law school. Yeah. Um, spent my first year working for a judge and then went into private practice uh, with a bankruptcy litigation firm here in Central California and tried my first jury trial 60 days after I joined the firm and I became a hardcore civil trial lawyer for the next 22 years. Wow. And then at, through a series of events, uh, unrelated, well, related to the practice of law, but also related to my own personal development, I ended up going back to school in, in mid-career in the 1990s to earn my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies. Right, interesting. And uh, quit the practice of law in 2000 and became a peacemaker. So what, is, what does that mean? What, what does that practically mean? I am called into very intense conflicts where it may be in lawsuits, it may be in litigation, it may not be, or it might be a community conflict or a religious conflict, congregational disputes, for example, where people are so angry they would rather kill each other with AR-15s than sit down at a table and talk. Yeah. And I am called in to help people de-escalate, to calm them down, and then help them, once they're calmed down, help them work through the issues and build a durable peace. So is it, is it a form of mediation in the sense yes, of a bit more it than that? It's, a more, it's an advanced form of mediation. Yeah. So, so the process of mediation is quite interesting. So for those, of you, for those people that don't know, can you just walk us through what might happen in a de-escalation process? Yeah. Let, let's first of all talk about what mediation is because people get mediation oh. and meditation confused. That, so there are, four, there, are four, <laughs> there are four basic ways of dealing with any kind of human conflict. One is through coercion, where one person tells the other person what to do. The other is to go to outside authority. So this is where parties would go to a judge or a jury or an arbitrator. We could call this litigation. And that outside authority has the power to decide what's going to happen. The third way is to go to mediation, in which case the parties keep the power to resolve the conflict themselves, and they bring in an outside person like myself to help them through a process that keeps them calm and allows them to focus on their problems. And then the last way we resolve conflict is through negotiation. Most people resolve most conflicts through negotiation, but when they get, it's, when it's serious enough and they get upset enough, then they immediately want to go to coercion. I'm going to tell you what to do. Of course, the other person doesn't like that, so they all lawyer up with the meanest junkyard lawyers they can find. Yeah. <laughs> and then ultimately come to me in mediation after they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. uh, in legal fees. And then and they so complain that the media is costing too much money. I know from bitter experience. And you say, yeah, well, millions. I mean, <laughs> you could call, you, you know, you charge, you know, I, I charge, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to what people pay their lawyers to, yeah. to try a lawsuit. Or it could be a non-litigated dispute where, yeah. you know, litigation lawsuits are not going to solve the problem because there's, It'll destroy wealth or it'll destroy relationships. And the, problem, the law just doesn't have the ability to solve the problem and they, need, yeah. and they need something else. And the problem with a lot of disputes, whether it be 
a one-to-one -one marital dispute through to a massive corporate law through to you know company countries trying to set right. that the the issue at hand is usually not the thing that's the problem it's that's correct it's, it's, the, it's, it's almost the never about the money i know it's always the other stuff isn't it? the stuff you know, no one says about the money it's always about I, 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 so there are i call them the six needs of justice and so one this is sort of a, a diagnostic concept i use so the six needs are vengeance, vindication, validation, the need to be heard, the need to create meaning, and the need for safety. Yeah. And almost always, these conflicts are arising because one of those six needs or combinations of those six needs of justice are not being met. Yeah. And so the, the whole process is designed to satisfy those needs. And when they're satisfied, people, almost, yeah, people can invariably find peace. We prefer peace over conflict, and we go to conflict because we don't think there's any other way to get resolution. Yeah, that's right. uh, and of course there are, but the problem is that, that we are not trained, generally speaking, in how to resolve conflicts. Um, it's people like me that go back and get a master's degree in this stuff. Yeah. So that we, our negotiation skills are kind of, the metaphor I like to use is, is a, little for, a little flexible flyer wagon that you might pull around you know, as a toy wagon, as opposed to a, two-ton, dually, positraction, 350-horsepower pickup truck, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that can haul your freight for you. Yeah. Uh, most people's negotiation skills are at the toy wagon level, not at the big pickup truck level. And, and, part, and part of the problem is as well that human beings, not, not generally, but quite regularly, quite don't like or are not used to dealing with conflict. So don't That's correct. So don't become hurt. skilled in it. And therefore, when a major conflict erupts, they either yelling and screaming or they're running away. I mean, they literally correct. respond to the most basic of reactions, don't they? Absolutely correct. And the reason for that is because uh, in families of origin, parents don't know how to deal with conflict. So they, so, so they stuff the emotions of their children. You can't cry, you can't talk, you can't be angry. Uh, and so children, because their parents are emotionally incompetent, they learn to be emotionally incompetent. And this is just carried on from generation to generation. Virginia Satira, a, a psychologist and therapist in the 1960s and 70s said that 96% of families are emotionally incompetent and produce emotionally incompetent adults. If you're emotionally incompetent, that means that when you are stressed in relationship with another person, you are going to revert back to childhood behaviors, your childhood patterns, because you've never outgrown that. And yeah. of course, they're completely dysfunctional. Yeah. So, so you're right. Uh, the problem is that we're not trained in how to be competent emotionally, and therefore we cannot it's very difficult for people without training to know to deep to deal with anger and upset without getting triggered themselves and that's the point isn't it i mean it's a very natural reaction when facing somebody else's anger to be stimulated into a state of fear and be a, have arousal that suits that and of course that mitigates and creates it's, more anger it's is it i always call it a slightly um the dysfunctional dance that goes on between well it people. is but it's and you you say that it's natural but it's also natural to be to to to, to have hold yourself in a place of peace yeah and equanimity and compassion with angry people it's just training you're trained you're trained you're trained yeah. as a child to be this way because that's the way your parents were yeah and they didn't know any better but i i teach people a completely different way of being you know i i mean this what i teach has been i've acid tested this in maximum security prisons for the last 12 years where i've turned turn, tra trained murderers to be peacemakers yeah and it's all you people are teachable you can learn this stuff absolutely and it completely changes your life once you learn it yeah
And so, and so you obviously you're going out and carrying a caseload and obviously I'm getting the idea that you're teaching and um, educating as well now, are you? I am. I, I, I've developed a set of skills that I call listening other people into existence. And this is all based on neuroscience and it's how our brains actually work, not how we think our brains work. And I'm able to teach people how to calm an angry person in less than 90 seconds because our brains are hardwired to do that. And yes. it's simply knowing how to do it. The, the skills are counterintuitive. It's not what everybody thinks. And it's also counter-normative because it appears to violate certain rules of social behavior. Can you give me, can you give me an example of what you mean? Sure. So I would say, if supposing you were upset, Russell, I would say something like, oh, Russell, man, you are really angry. You're really pissed off. You're frustrated. You don't feel appreciated. You've been treated unfairly. No one's paying attention to you. You feel completely ignored. You feel betrayed. It's making you sad because you've lost connection and you want relationship. And you feel completely abandoned and unloved. So what I did there yeah. was use very simple use statements. And I went through the six layers. Six layers, yeah, I know what's Six layers of emotions. Yeah. And and if you were really upset and angry, you'd be calm by now. Yes. Because and you can, what happened, what, and you can take those today, can't you? And sit, the next time your your partner or spouse is on one, you can just use those, can't you? Because actually, right. it's about it's about recognizing people, giving people a voice, isn't it? Listening right. them into existence. What okay. what the brains what the brain scanning studies show and what science shows is that when somebody becomes upset and emotional, and it could be anger, it could be grief, or it could even be happiness. This works on the positive side too. Uh, the emotional centers of the brain overwhelm the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex shuts down, and now we're all we're left with is our reactive programming from childhood. We yeah. can no longer make choices, and we lose our impulse control. So when I reflect back your emotional state, like I just did, I am literally lending my prefrontal cortex to you, for your prefrontal cortex to process the emotional experience that you're having. And when it does that, what the scanning studies show is the ventral lateral prefrontal cortex activates at the same time the emotional centers of the brain, including the amygdala, are inhibited. And so it's this reciprocal inverse relationship, and that's what causes people to calm down almost instantly. And it's amazing how the brain can do this, but it does. We're all hardwired for it. It doesn't matter what the culture is, doesn't matter your age, really doesn't matter about anything other than you're a human being, because this works on every human brain. Yes. Yes, a mammalian thing, really, isn't it? Well, many things. Well, I'm not sure that it would work on, not, not, that, not, not that other animals can understand language, but I think there's yes, a... Yes, but, but the sentiment, a, and actually the tone of voice is, because um, actually what you're doing is you're pacing and leading, aren't you? You're showing you... Well, that's, you know, that's the NLP. Moving. You're right, you are, you are pacing and leading, and, and yeah. that, that is a part of NLP that I do, do like. Yeah, um, the only bit. What the difference is, is here, here's the thing to understand, is humans are the only creatures that have emotions. We're the only species that have emotions, and we're not born with emotions. We construct emotions starting at about 18 months of age. We're born with something called affect, and we share affect with all other animals. Uh, affect, affective experience is what goes on in the brain at the very primal level, so like a fear response or an excitement response, where certain neural networks are... Uh, stimulated and activated by the environment or by memory, uh, some sort of stimulus, and, all, and our brain reacts to that to tell us what's going on. What we, how we create emotions, because we're putting words, abstract concepts, symbols, 
uh, to describe various refined affective experience. Imagine you've got an artist who has a palette of primary colors. A great artist can take those primary colors and make an infinite number of different colors. Yeah. Brains can do the same thing with affective experience and, that, and with the, uh, that process of creating all of those emotional colors, so to speak, is what we call emotional categorization and emotional granularization. The more you can categorize and granularize your emotional experience, the more emotionally intelligent you are yes, and the yes. better you can deal with conflict and the better you can deal with stress. So one of the key foundational skills of life is learning how to listen to and reflect other people's emotions because it helps you develop your own emotional database and, and is an antidote towards getting triggered or upset or yes. scared or angry um, when somebody starts yelling at you. Yeah. And so you've written a book called what? I've written four books, but my fourth book is De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Yeah. And that book, that book arose out of the prison project when inmates were you know, incarcerated people. My students were asking me to write a book that they could share with their families. And so I wrote it in 2016, and it was fast-tracked by Simon & Schuster. I, I submitted the manuscript at the end of Thanksgiving, just about, let's see, this is 2021, yeah. Would have been four years ago. Right at the end of Thanksgiving, I submitted the manuscript. They had it out by September of 2017, so less than six months later. Wow. And it was a one of the fastest turnarounds they've ever experienced. Yeah. So, pretty cool. Pretty cool, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, the thing is, like many people, if you're taking your professional trade and writing about it, it's, it's you're, not, you're not struggling for, or having to research it or think about it. It's sort of there in your head, really, isn't it, I suppose? This was a book where I didn't have to do a lot of research because yeah, it was exactly. all I was living it and teaching exactly. it. Exactly. I yeah. was just able to, you know, tell stories and give yeah. examples. The first three chapters are are theoretical, so but I had all the theory, so it was no problem writing about the science. So which people which people would benefit most from reading it, uh, Doug? The better question would be say who wouldn't benefit from reading it, and the answer is nobody. <laughs> Yeah, but let's be the a reason, little bit more scientific and not be quite so I know. That, here's what I've learned. You must have had an audience in mind, even where well, you started. I was, initially, I was writing, I wrote the book for people who have to deal with anger in their lives. They have angry people in their life. Angry boss, angry co-workers, angry uh, subordinates, angry family members, angry children, you know, just anger and upset everywhere. Yeah. The book was f written to help people deal with that kind of emotional upset. But what I've learned over the years is that this is much deeper and more profound. What happens is as you practice these skills and they embed into you and they become habitual is that you change as a human being. Mm. And you soften, you become more patient, you become more compassionate, you become more resilient. Uh, Upset doesn't bother you. You can walk into any angry situation and know exactly what to say, how to say it, and when to say it, yeah. and never be at a loss for words. And it doesn't matter what is going on around you because you, you see with open eyes, oh, what I, I see exactly what's going on, and I know exactly what is needed here. Because once the veil is lifted on the fact that we are emotional beings, not rational beings, then all of a sudden you see human behavior and, a, and human nature in a whole new light. And that gives that insight changes everything. Yes. And all of a sudden, human beings make sense. They no longer seem to be unpredictable, chaotic beings. They are actually very predictable with a very limited repertoire of behaviors and very easy to, 
to calm down. Yes. Yeah, fascinating. So obviously you say it's for everybody, but I mean, is it is it really aimed for the for an individual who's dealing with a spouse or you're dealing with someone who's an, a professional mediator or is it more book, like a work-based thing? The book, is it the, book, the, the, book, the way I wrote the book was to cover the arc of life. So after the first three chapters, which are based, lay down how to do it, the theory, why it works, uh, the science behind it. Then I start, I start with uh, relationships, dating relationships. And then I go to committed relationships. And then I go to child rearing. Then I go to teenagers. Then I go to the workplace and school. There's a chapter on education. Uh, and, and I just go through the, the arc of life. And in each chapter, I create examples of very common problems that everybody faces. And I show, OK, this is the way most people handle it. Here's how you would do it using these skills. And I would actually create, recreate the conversations. And so you could just see the difference in the, in, the, in the conversational. It's really not conversation. It's really listening. But how you would reflect. So you, what, what people do, I mean, it's not a long book, uh, 250 pages. But you read the first three or four chapters, and then you, you go, to, go to the chapter where you've got a real problem. Supposing you've got a two-year-old who's having a tantrum, and you just can't handle that. Well, then you go to chapter four or five. And there I describe how to listen to young children and why you have to listen to young children in this way and what happens. Or maybe you've got a teenager, a sullen, resentful, unresponsive teenager, 14-year-old. Then go to the chapter on teenagers and nice. read how do, you, how do you listen to a 14-year-old boy who, who all, the best you can get out of him is a grunt. What do you do with that, right? Well, there's a lot you can do. And, and so I describe that process. Yeah. How do you take a relationship, a marriage, for example, that is not happy and make it deeply intimate and loving yeah. Yeah. using these skills? Yeah. That's, that, takes some, that takes some care. It does. But, uh, but yeah. it can be done. Excellent. I like it. And I see you're referencing Matt Lieberman on your site. That's always a good thing. Yes, I do. Yeah. Lieberman, uh, his, yeah. it was his study in 2007 yeah. that described his brain scanning studies around affect labeling. Yeah. And it was that science that got me, that ratified what I had discovered in 2005. And since then, there have been a number of studies, that follow-up yeah. studies, that have shown how this concept called affect labeling is extremely powerful in terms of how it helps people grow, change, and deal with relationships. Yes. Brilliant. Well, okay, excellent. So you've told us about it. You've told us all about it, how to read it, who it's for. So we better get our paws on it. So I went on to amazon.co.uk and there it is sitting there, 195 reviews. So that's yeah. the... Um, most them, obviously, yeah, most of them are all five and four, four and five star reviews. Yeah, I mean, the, the one stars are always the same, aren't they? It's something, this is not the book I thought it was going to be. I wanted to buy a book about cuddly toys. It's always one stars. And then There's always, always one guy, Yeah, you know, this isn't the book I thought it was going to be. I wanted something about Harry Potter. <laughs> so anyway, so it's on Amazon.co.uk. Where else can we find it? You can find it. I mean, you can find it wherever you can buy a book, really. I mean, it's published by Beyond Words, Atria, Simon & Schuster. So it's available at all the usual places. You can get a... Uh, see, I'm creating a web page for the audience, for everybody who's listening, if you want to... Uh, get more information about this work, you can go to dugnoll.co slash resilient, uh, yeah, resilience. 
And on that page, there are four, th four resources for you. One, a free ebook. Two, a link to buy uh, the book off my website, uh, which is basically at cost. And three, uh, the de-escalate video course, about 200 bucks, how to, how to really learn how to do these skills. Yeah. And then four, if you really want to invest in yourself, um, it's a 50% off my emotional competency course, online emotional competency course, so that you can take this at whatever, whatever level is appropriate, yeah. however much money you want to invest in yourself, or none, zero. Uh, there's something there that will help you. And it'll give you an entree into the website, into dugnall.com. Yeah. Brilliant. I really like it. I'm going to have a proper um, explore. And um, and it's obviously a subject I cover myself. So it's, I recognize the validity of everything you're saying. So it's um, it's nice to talk to a fellow practitioner. And Thank um, you. I love the way you've categorized things and made it easy to understand with you know simple lists and things. That makes life much, much easier for people. Right. And, and I don't think you're advocating a sort of um, take my approach and you know apply it as if I'm doing it. You're creating in a process the ability for people to you know make it their own, aren't you? So they can put their words, their own words in place. And, That's right. You know, adapt it to the situation. I think uh, some of your right. viewers I mean, don't understand that. That's right. I, I take the science and and yeah. and operationalize it. Good. Here's what the science says, and here's how we use it. Yeah, I mean. You, that's it. You've got to have good provenance and then good skills. There's, there's nothing there else in life, isn't there? Great. Doug, it's been a joy to spend time with you again. Those websites again, dugnall.com. And I think you said dugnall.co .co slash, exactly. um, slash resilience. Brilliant. That's a bitly link to cut down on the long yeah. URL. Very good. Excellent. Thank you for spending time with us today, Doug. Really appreciate it. You've been an absolute star, and um, I wish you all the best. And um, thank you, Russell. You know, keep writing. I I plan to. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.